0: This is Joseph shatower pastor of Advent Lutheran Church in Wyckoff, New Jersey, and this is week five of our Fall 2018 series on Being Disciples by Rowan Williams. So far we've talked about discipleship as it relates to God, as it relates to our own minds, to other individuals, and now we're going to expand far beyond that and talk about public religion and the common good. So how do we live as Christians in society in general? William starts his discussion here by asking what the place of religion is in a modern democratic society. The answer is usually in private. We take it for granted both in the US and in Williams' native UK that religion is a private choice, a choice much the same way that choosing what cereal to eat or what music to listen to is a private choice. And as long as your religion stays in private and doesn't affect the way you exist in the public sphere, no one is going to care very much what your religion is. The origins for that come in part from the enlightenment of the 17th and 18th centuries. After a series of long religious wars wreaked havoc across Europe, many European leaders wanted to move past religious conflict. It brought with it increased skepticism about the necessity of religious authorities and the idea that knowledge about God was generally available to everyone. This eventually manifested itself as something called deism, which is basically the idea that God created the world and then stepped back and let the chips fall where they may. The more recent part of this culture that's important is the development of human rights as a normative force in societies. This reaffirmed the individual's desire to choose as a basic right and suggested that they should choose for themselves whatever whatever will give them the most pleasure. So that's the basic origin of what we call the modern democratic secular society. So Williams suggests two areas in which Christian faith and practice may stir some proper debate. This isn't to say that religious practice should be mandated or legislated, but that developed economies like ours need to be forced to reckon with moral questions like justice and stability. The first principle is that everyone is created by God with a distinct calling and capacity. So this is an affirmation of human dignity, the idea that every individual is made in the image of God people are related to and their lives are defined by God before they are related to or defined by other people. This means there's no extra or spare people in the world. When human flourishing is limited by injustice, it means that a unique and unrepeatable aspect of God's work has been allowed to vanish. And if that's true for one individual, it's even more devastating in the cases of genocide. And this doesn't just affect life and death issues. The innate dignity of people means that someone's value is never determined by how productive they are for the economy, or by how successful they are in their work. We live in an increasingly impatient and stressed culture, and this means recognizing that people's worth as individuals doesn't come from how well they play by the rules and norms of the dominant culture. Now, this is all perfectly fine and good, but it's also true for any number of religious traditions. The second point that Williams emphasizes is what's unique to Christianity, and here he chooses to emphasize the work of the church itself. The dignity that comes from our relationship with God isn't just a static given in our lives, it's dynamic. It's something that's constantly unfolding and being affirmed to us and built up for us by others in our lives as well. And this is one of the primary functions of the church is building up this dignity among not only its members, but among people of the world at large. So what doesn't this mean? Well, it doesn't mean the church taking over elements of traditional political power. It doesn't mean preventing people from making choices which lead to their flourishing. Churches that have tried to exercise political power have usually given up their identity as relating to and giving to one another freely without compulsion. But churches that have no interest in public affairs usually give up some of their distinctive claim to affirm the dignity of others as well. So what does this mean? For Williams, it means proposing to the state and to the culture in general a style and direction of common life, the life of the body of Christ, that represents humanity at its fullest. This doesn't mean that the church is going to create the kingdom of God on earth via coercive political power. But it does mean being a conversation partner and critical friend to the state and culture in general, offering a vision of what it looks like for the kingdom of God to be reflected in our relationships with each other and in the world that we live in. This is, Williams suggests, more than just an affirmation of human rights, more than a commitment to abstract justice. Christians are called to see others, and especially others, in profound need from the perspective of an eternal and unflinching, unalterable love. So far from Christianity threatening to undermine humanity's freedom and dignity, as some of the Enlightenment's legacy suggests, it establishes that dignity on the strongest possible basis. If the story of the Bible tells us of how deeply God has loved what he has made, the Christian knows that the world in which he or she lives makes the alarming claim to be seen as worthy of that kind of love. We hope and pray that we as believers can respond to this by the strength of God's Holy Spirit. And we proclaim this vision as the firmest possible ground for hope in any imaginable human society, Eastern or Western, past, present, or to come. That's all Williams. So, how to sum this up? One part that's very important is that the choice is a given. A church or Christian witness that tries to compel other people into belief but doesn't work and ignores the church's existence as a group that freely gives. But the emphasis on dignity as something that's both given by God and built up by the community is maybe even more important to remember. The church can never just be a kind of chaplain for the broader culture that blesses whatever already exists. It means inviting people into the mutual building up of the body of Christ so that the kingdom of God will be more recognizable among us. That's it for this week. Next week, we'll be wrapping up with staying spiritually healthy.